We're floating like butterflies and stinging like bees. Rumble, you badass jet pilots, rumble. Hi, welcome to the Wingman Show. My name is Drew Brown. We hope to inspire, entertain, and learn something so we can all make this world a better place for our children. I'd like to introduce to you somebody who's my friend, my wingman, my main man, and I have a wingman watching my back, Dr. Paul Thompson. Hey, Paul, what's happening? Oh, not much. Hello, everyone. I'm Paul Thompson, and you just heard from Mr. Drew Brown, Dark Gable. He's the American dream. He's the man, the myth, the legend, the pilot's pilot, the role model's role model, and most importantly, his royal fullness. How are you doing today, Mr. Dark Gable? I'm doing great, and I'm glad I'm full of knowledge, Paul. I'm glad I'm full of knowledge. Well, we're going to have a great show right now. Check this out. Brother Paul, brother Paul, I really was thinking about something that's amazing, and it's that wingman story we have. We're going to do a story about a real-life superhero, what they look like to a Jew. And I can say that because I'm a black Jew. I can say stuff about black. I say stuff about Jew. I have a lot of things I say stuff about. The wingman story, man, it's going to blow you away. What I want to talk about is, though, Mothers or fathers, but mostly mothers that I've seen who keep their children at home too long. And you and I had a great conversation. I think it was yesterday. He was the smartest guy you knew. And he just never made it because he stayed at home with his mama. Now, I don't blame that person as much as I do the mother that raised that person. I just believe there's a certain time in life the offspring is supposed to go and be the nucleus of their own. Like I was the nucleus of my family until my children grew up to a certain point and they went out as stars on their own and they become the nucleus. Now, Taryn has a child with my son, Nick, and with son-in-law, but I call him son. I don't believe in that in-law stuff. But anyway, they have a child. So they're the nucleus. Taryn is the nucleus. Nick is the nucleus, the baby. Not me anymore. I'm just part of that circle. But anyway, you saw it with Mike Tyson. Remember that with Robin Givens? Oh, yeah. Her mother. I just believe there are a lot of mothers. And I think the reason is in my own little silly way, and I don't know if I'm right. I'm usually wrong about everything anyway. But what I think is that the mothers have found their own personal doll that they don't ever want to give up. That's interesting. And, you know, they love them. They love them. They know them their whole life. And it's something about being insecure about having their own nucleus. Mm-hmm. And I've just seen that a lot. What do you think, Dr. Paul? Yeah. In terms of, you know, people just kind of being tethered, like they've got an anchor around, you know, yeah. People I've known and, you know, we're talking about is, you know, somebody I knew in the, in the South, Southeast. And as you know, sometimes folks don't really go beyond their, the loop of the interstate that goes around the city. They haven't been out too much and going other places is kind of, kind of fearful. So you can have this, you know, great education, but if you can't apply it, you know, what good is it? So if you're in like a, a podunk town and you've got some degree from MIT or whatever, and you still stay in the podunk town and there's, there's nothing to do, you know, you know, you know, what'd you do it for? That's that's a question I would have. But a lot of times it's just it's fear of the unknown. And I've seen that with with folks that I've met really across the United States. You know, they're 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 for 
fearful maybe of the physical safety because of things that have happened in the past, but oftentimes they're intimidated by other people and just want to stay in their little orbit. And it's a big problem with that because you don't grow. You know, you really need to be uncomfortable. You need to get yes. out and, and get uncomfortable. The same way you need to exercise. You need to make your muscles uncomfortable so they'll grow or they'll at least stay the same, stay functional. If you sit and rot, you just get weaker. The last time I was in the I was hospitalized for a while some years ago. At your face. It was, I was, yeah, I was, I, I was, it was like almost a better part of a month. And I looked at myself in the mirror one time, looked like I was a prisoner of war. Atrophy. It, it, yeah, it, it really, it's just that, that quick. I think as you get older, it gets worse. But mentally, it's the same way. You've got to get out and do something, you know. And to those who are raising kids or people, you know, let, let them go. Don't let them go and do something dangerous, but let them go psychologically so that they can grow and develop. Because if they and never you have to raise them that way, though, Doctor Paul, you have to raise them to be self-sufficient and want to go. A child shouldn't want to stay at home. Right. You know, there's a little bit of blame on both ways. A kid could. I couldn't wait. It was the way I ran away at right. 17 to New Mexico State University. To me, it was my flying point. I couldn't wait for that moment. Yeah, I mean, look how what's the distance between Brooklyn and, and anywhere in New Mexico? That's beyond <laughs> Texas. That's a long way. You know, but you're ready to do it, obviously. Just in that exposure, even if it's a good experience, if it's a bad experience, you probably learn something from it, hopefully. But just to do the same thing, you know, to stay home for me to take the Q4 bus to Jamaica Avenue back and forth, you know, you know, I could have done the same thing, gone to a great university, gone to St. John's, which is just a couple of bus rides. In fact, my, my middle school was farther away than the university was. And you could stay in that. And that's fine. But the world is bigger than that. I'm glad I got to see some of them. Well, talking about how big the world is, I'm going to say the politicians uh, just last night or the night before, I'm not sure, but they were able to raise the debt ceiling. And I'm not saying Republicans and Democrats anymore because I'm going to say politicians because if these fools can't get together to do right for the American people, I have no idea. Uh, taking sides just doesn't help. So I'm just telling you, anyway, they raised the debt ceiling. Oh, that's good. not what I want to talk about. I do want to talk about the United States economy. But there was talk. How about this one? I could not believe I read this. Of the U.S. Mint minting a trillion dollar coin and depositing it in the Federal Reserves to help our loan situation and clear most of it up. I mean, you're talking about finally exposing that this entire thing is bullshit. I mean, we're loaning to what happens if we default? You just print more money. When are we finally going to learn the truth about our economics and how you have to take care of yourself? You better have your own money. You know, you better not be waiting on anybody else to take care of you. And that's how I felt. Uh, I was raised like that once again. It wasn't in the perfect home, but it was in a home perfect enough to make me go out there and want to succeed. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm kind of a late bloomer here. You know, the, the whole money thing, what we have is, is what they call fiat currency. Your basic paper currency is fiat currency. Fiat is, comes from Latin. I think it means uh, let it be so. so. Basically, Nixon took you took us off the gold <laughs> standard. So gold, you know, used to be gold and silver used to back the currency. 
He took us off the gold standard and said, well, you just print the money. Well, you know, what makes it good? Well, my word says it's good. That's the fiat part. It's edict. I say it's good, it's money. And that's it. The trillion dollar coin. Now, if you I looked, I looked at it the other night. A trillion dollar coin based on it would have to be made out of platinum. And they could actually yes. do it. They could actually do it because Congress, Congress can actually regulate gold, silver, copper, and something else. But for some reason, they can't regulate platinum. So the administration, they could print a print a mint a coin for a trillion dollars. Uh, well, how big would the coin have to be? But platinum, I think, is running around fifteen hundred dollars uh, an ounce. I think it would have to be a trillion dollar coin would weigh somewhere about north of forty two million pounds physically, forty two million pounds. But they could actually make it the size of a silver dollar and just say this it is worth like coin. That. This is, this is all BS. And it wouldn't it wouldn't solve all the problems. It just buys more time. No, they could print actually another one next year. Paul, come <laughs> on. I know how to solve this problem. Oh, they print more than one. Okay. Yes. And talking about the world and world economic. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, that's why Dr. Paul is Dr. Paul. You really explained it very well. Thank you for being so smart. I mean, you explained what I said. I said bullshit, and you actually explained what that word meant. Thank you so oh, much. Yeah, you're, you're not wrong. Yeah, but thank you for being so smart. Anyway, how about this one? China is now, and we know about this because we were involved in some of these. China mm -hmm. is now flying jets over Taiwan. Taiwan is having an Independence Day parade, and they are now instigating problems with Taiwan because right. Taiwan wants to be its own country, obviously, and China doesn't. And right. you and I were talking about this. Now, there are two kinds of warfare, and one of them is strategic. The other one is a word that I will print on the YouTube here when I find it. Okay. Because if nuclear goes down, it's over for everybody. So now you're not going in the house with a gun. You're going in the house talking like you're a mob boss, which we'll talk about later, mm -hmm. saying what your guys can do. So there's no more one-on-one. -on -one. So all I'm saying is, if China does actually go into Taiwan, Taiwan said there's going to be some serious problems. What do you think America would do, Dr. Paul? Well, uh, well, for, first of all, you, you talk about war. Only wars I know about is just hot war and cold war. Hot wars fighting, cold wars. Nah, I don't, I don't, I don't see a nuclear exchange. Uh, that whole thing with Taiwan. People don't know Taiwan. They used to call it Formosa, and it was colonized by uh, the Japanese. Actually, it was colonized by other people. I think the Dutch were down there, but the Japanese colonized it for a while. And then uh, at the end of World War II, uh, Japan lost control of it. Went back to China. There was uh, an internal war in China. Uh, what do they call the Republic of China? There was a group led by a guy named Chiang Kai-shek. Uh, they were losing, so they fled. They fled the mainland and went to, to Taiwan, what is now Taiwan, and say, we're separate. And uh, since that time, China says, no, come back here. We're, it's, it's, this is ours. So this is a black, back and forth, back and forth. It's kind of a, fam a family feud, but it involves a vital part of the area, vital part of the world. A lot of major shipping lanes are right there, too. So I don't see a big war. Basically, everything would stop. The world economy would stop. Russia would be involved. 
And I think that might have something to do with, with the deal that the U.S. and Australia struck with getting submarines, nuclear submarines. And one Australia, Australia is supposed to get them from France, but now they're getting them from the U.S., more capable. And I'm thinking, well, you know, what do they need nuclear stuff for? Who are they going to nuke down there? Nobody in the, the Solomon Islands, not India. So it's probably a, a, a chess game. So, you know, if basically everything would stop. Well, I think people, well, first of all, I'd like to correct everything I said prior to you speaking. It's called tactical and strategic warfare. Tactical okay. warfare is with conventional weapons. Strategic warfare is with nuclear weapons. So please, I, we need to make that correction. Strategic meaning strategy. And what we are trying to do as a world, as a nation of peace-loving people, is keep nuclear weapons away from somebody who might be ignorant enough to actually use one. And if they use one against a country who has them, they will be demolished. So it's called a dirty bomb. One who can, like North Korea, if they're stupid enough to actually throw a nuclear weapon in the air, there's going to be all kind of shit that's happening. And that's why everybody is against crazy people having big time weapons. And one more thing about nuclear weapons, the guy who invented it, Oppenheimer, I lived in the Virgin Islands, Katrina and I in St. Thomas, and the island right across was St. John. And he had a house on the water there, and it was called the Oppenheimer House. And when he found out the damage he could do when he invented the atom bomb, he went to live on that island, not to talk. He became a recluse, and he didn't talk to anybody anymore, talking mm -hmm. about nuclear weapons. But I do have this for you. I have a wingman show PSA. A Wingman Show PSA. Tony the Tiger, the famous Tony the Tiger, finally says, they're great. And he means it because Tony is actually becoming healthy. And that's because Kellogg's has gone on strike. Kellogg's has gone on strike. Sugar cereal will be hard to find. Yeah. Now, I say that because Kellogg's, I think Nabisco, they have just gone on strike because of money, obviously. But these cereals, um, I didn't let my children eat, you know, Count Chocula. I just didn't let them do it. I have to lie and say my favorite cereal in the whole world was Captain Crunch. But it was a special occasion that I got to eat Captain Crunch. Point being that these companies are now going on strike and it's going to be very hard to get these cereals, which is going to probably make the value of these cereals go up. What do you think about Kellogg's and Nabisco and makers of these fine products for our children going on strike? Yeah, well, uh, they got a labor dispute. Uh, I guess they, they're, they're working overtime since the pandemic kicked in. I guess people are home eating more of this stuff. So they're saying they're working seven days a week, X number of days, want more money. I guess they've been in contract talks for a year, and they're kind of at the end of the rope. And management says, well, if you don't, if you don't knuckle under, we're going to move everything to Mexico, which is interesting, or more stuff to Mexico. So you'd be getting more, <laughs> more of the junk food that's not less regulated coming from another country, probably. So good luck with that. Yeah, I used to, I stopped eating that stuff a long, long time ago. I did like some of it. Captain Crunch was way too sweet for me, even then as a child. That was the way I didn't care for it too much. But everything was sugar. You know, all stuff is sugar, refined grains. That's the worst thing. Uh, probably the reason I'm not sick today with diabetes and all that other stuff. Did get a lot of exercise. Got a lot of exercise. Uh, 
So, you know, when you're, when you're super young, you can be kind of dumb in a lot of things and still recover to a point, to a point. Uh, I think most of us can, but I think the stuff they have now is just, it's so addictive. And it's, I see these, so many folks running around these giant nine-year-olds who are like mini sumo wrestlers, just eating these unrefined grains and carbohydrates and sugar with a little food coloring. And that's, that's their nutrition. But they probably so, don't take a vaccine though, because they haven't done their research on it. Haven't right. done their research on the vaccine. Right. 600 pounds, 12 years old, not going to take a vaccine. My mama told me she hadn't done her research. And if uh, you ever look at those kids that you're talking about, just look at their parents and yeah, talking about yeah. getting soft, Paul, you'll love this. I know how you love Tony Soprano. Well, it is now reported that the old time mob bosses, the real OGs, the mob bosses are very frustrated with the younger mob bosses saying that they're soft, saying they text too much, saying that they're not even complying with the mob rules. I think this is one of the funniest things in the world that the young guys in the mob can't even live up to the old time standards of not touching family. There were certain things that the mob always had. They, they felt like they did right to a point. And these um, mob bosses say these kids are on their phone the entire time. What yeah. do you think, Dr. Paul? I, I, I thought it was kind of funny, too, because I think there's one of the uh, an, uh, aging member of the Colombo crime family, big time guy. I think he got indicted on something and the evidence they used, I think, might have come from a text. The kids, they, they use threatening these, he's, he's threatening all these people and they got the text. When someone texted it or he's texting it, he's not too tech savvy, you know. So somebody did something wrong and basically the, the, the handheld devices probably put him in jail. I think he's like 88 years old or so. so hey, what yeah, do you think Tony Soprano or um, Al Pacino or what do you think these big time gangsters would do when they start talking to you and you start saying, excuse me, and start texting? Uh, something happened to you. In fact, you say so Tony Soprano, there was an episode and I forget which one it was. I was watching it, the Sopranos and he's trying to get his son to do be more active or something. AJ was a son mm-hmm. and he was complaining to the wife, you know, he's, I'm going to get him to, I want to, I want to get him. He got to do something. He can't just learn. So he goes into AJ's room. He opens the room and AJ's on the computer and he's just laughing. He's just <laughs> laughing. Ta, 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 ta. And Tony, he's looking behind you. He just looks at him, looked at him and he closed the door. He goes to his wife and says, what's he, what's he doing? He's talking to some other jag off on the computer. <laughs> then the scene changes and you see AJ He's at a construction site with a hard hat and he's <laughs> he's carrying two big buckets, you know, through the through the gravel and stuff like that. He wanted to do that's what with. Tony did to him, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was I thought that was good. I thought that was appropriate. That was years ago. Well, so, you know something good about getting a little bit older and forgetting things? <laughs> I just told Katrina this. I forgot most of the Sopranos. I'm gonna get to rewatch that. I'm gonna get to rewatch the wire, and I really don't remember most of them. If it's long enough, I'll watch a Law and Order SVU, and I won't yeah. remember most of it. I'll remember. Yes. I think I saw it. You know, but I do remember, though, Paul, we were talking also about our lives and what changed them and what about what time it changed and what year it changed. And for me, I really grew up when I was about 26 and joined the United States Navy. And mm-hmm. there was a reason. I was educated. I was smart. I was doing things. But I had two children, and mm-hmm. I had a responsibility 
that I delegated to myself that was above everything. And that was taking care of my kids. It was something internal also. It wasn't something that was, I guess it was taught, but it was an internal instinct to take care of my kids. And that's when I grew up. I just so happened to pick something that I never thought about before. And that was flying Navy jets. And I say that because I want to talk about what we actually did. I never, uh, okay, yeah, no, I could actually say, and I never flew an airplane before the Navy. I don't like using the N-word, never. Mm-hmm. But I never really, I never did fly an airplane before I flew a Navy airplane. And within two years, I was flying, I was trying to fly on an aircraft carrier at sea called the USS Lexington mm-hmm. with the T-2 jet. And it freaked me out because you we practice hundreds of times the exact same landing. You know, you you fly by this thing called the Fresnel lens, which you can get into later, but they show a whole bunch of lights in the sky. And wherever you are in the sky, you will see that light. And you have to put that light in between a set of green lights that stay green. And you have to stay there at night when you can see nothing else. And if you keep it there, you live. And if you don't keep it there, you die. Period. For real. So I just wanted to talk about my very first carrier call. And this, God honest, this is the Harlem in me. This is the stay safe and stay alive. We come into the break. Uh, you have to break over the ship, I think, at a thousand feet. Might yeah, have right. my numbers wrong. But anyway, you break to the left. You come around. You throw down your gear. You throw down your flaps. You come around. You line up to the carrier, which is always going into the wind. You line up to the carrier and you start coming on down on these lights. Well, the very first time I came around and saw that goddamn ship in the ocean, because you're only supposed to look at the lights. Mm-hmm. You are not supposed to look at that ship and you're not supposed to look at the ocean for real. Anyway, I'm a young kid out of Harlem, I think, and I'm looking at everything. And I am trying to go down on these lights doing the exact opposite of what they taught me. You're supposed to go in a Navy jet up and down with your power, not with your nose, because you have to keep your jet at a certain angle of attack. So I am trying to go down to the carrier with my nose because my left hand is not pulling the power. No matter what I did, my left hand is saying, you will not die today. You will not die today. And I guess I did it so bad that the LSO, which is a landing signals officer, which you might talk about later. Anyway, he said, is something wrong? Is something wrong? And I said, yes, it looks like I'm having an electrical problem because I was not going to go down that first time. Anyway, make a long story short, the next time I did what I was trained to do. But that very first time, there was no way in hell was my inner being from New York City, from 102nd between Park and Madison. I wasn't going down to a moving ship in the ocean. Anyway, that's my first carrier qual. And I said all that to say I grew up really in the United States Navy because I didn't have a choice. I didn't have a choice. I had to take care of my family. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, you know, there's a lot to be said for what you accomplished. Whether you've never flew an airplane before or not, or if you came in the Navy with 10,000 hours, if you never landed on a ship before, you never landed on a ship before. (laughs) So it's a new experience. And, you know, today you can, you know, you got all these computer games. You can simulate everything. You can actually go through the whole program, I think, at home. (laughs) Everything is out there now. But when we went through... It was nothing. It was just training 
and you're reading stuff on papers and listen to lectures and you have a guy take you out there and you see this thing for the first time. And, uh, that it was just a small little patch. It looks like almost impossible when you fly over the thing. How am I going to land on this? But you do it, you know, you follow the training and this is where it's, you know, it's important to be able to take instruction, to take criticism, to follow instruction. If you couldn't do that, you wouldn't have gotten to that point. Well, no doubt about it, but I took instruction because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Okay, well, you were common sense. Yeah, common sense. Common Common sense. sense. A lot of people don't have. You know who didn't make it a lot? Kids who already knew how to fly because they wanted to do it their way. I knew how I learned really good because I only learned one damn way. That was the Navy way because I knew I didn't have an alternative. Yeah, that's what they said. There's three ways of things doing things in life. There's the right way, the wrong way, and the Navy way. Uh, maybe the Air Force people may have their own phrase, but that's the way it is. Yeah, you you grow up. It's a it's a tough thing to do. It takes a while. I read yesterday where they're talking about doing away with carrier calls. Believe it or not, because the technology is advanced so much that they believe they can do just about everything in the simulator. You can actually get your you may be able to get your wings before you qualify on the ship. That's that's a proposal I've heard to cut down on training costs and take advantage of these software enhancements and basically letting the airplanes kind of fly themselves on, which is really pretty, pretty amazing. I guess the jets we flew were more like Fred Flintstone. No, they weren't. They were some badass son bitches is what they were. We knew how to fly jets. You had to rely always on instruments and technology. Yeah. We actually flew these bad boys. Sometimes we we um, dropped bombs with our technology. We had to do it by sight. You remember right. that? You know, that was some badass jets. That's when bombing was bombing, not people, but targets. Yeah. I love doing it. I love dogfighting, which means air combat maneuvering. But yeah. what we're going to talk about today is, Paul, you got a good wingman story. You got a really good wingman story. Yes. There's a guy named Jan... Uh, Dick, I think I'm spelling the name properly, or pronouncing the name properly, Jan Schwartendick. He was a Dutchman, never heard about him before. But this is an example of someone who can be a hero that doesn't wear a cape. And he's credited with saving the lives of tens of thousands of Jews during World War II. Never heard the story before, but he was a, a Dutchman. And I guess the Dutch, the Netherlands, was overrun by the Nazis. But they needed someone to run the businesses that they had going. So he was selected to, okay, keep doing what you're doing. Like, apparently he was good at it. And he was so good at it, even though there was, he was in kind of a Nazi-occupied job, so to speak, they gave him special responsibilities, you know, in conjunction with, you know, what he was doing, shipping things, buying things. And he was able to give like travel visas to people. And a lot of Jews who were being uh, persecuted in Poland made their way to Lithuania. And that's where he worked. And long story short, he was able to get them transit visas uh, going to the Dutch Caribbean. And they were going to uh, Curacao. Never been to Curacao. It's, it's way south in the Caribbean. It's just north of Venezuela. But about 10,000 people were able to leave Europe, uh, avoid certain death, 
on based on a passport and a green stamp, a travel visa stamp. And he got them there. But there's other people. There's a, a Chinese gentleman. His last name is Sugera or something. And he did much the same thing. Again, in Lithuania, he was some kind of an agent. And he got uh, a lot of Jews to Asia on the, the Trans-Siberian Railroad System. And they got into Japan. This is like 1940. This is before the U.S. got into the war, 39, right. 1940. Mm-hmm. And uh, from Japan, they either went to, somehow got to other Western nations or went to Asia. I understand a good number of them ended up in the Philippines. That's another story. I'd read that a couple of years ago. So there are all kinds of heroes. Then there was another guy named uh, Mendez, and he was able to find like between 10 and 30,000 Jews from France through Spain and eventually into Portugal. So these are people that saved tens of thousands of lives. No movies have been made about them, but uh, they did great things at great risk to themselves. Those are truly wingmen, don't you think? I think so. And you know what's good about that? They didn't really transport Jews. They transported human beings. They were saving lives. Something in their heart knew that they were doing the right thing. And I truly believe all of us know right from wrong. Dr. Paul, those stories were great. Thank you for that wingman story. You're welcome. Thank you once again, Dr. Paul Thompson, my friend. Thank you for your love, your time. And that's something that we won't ever get back. I want to thank all the listeners, too. Thank you so much for doing the show, Dr. Paul. We're jamming. Well, thank you, Mr. Drew, for inviting me on. Always good to talk to you. And ladies and gentlemen, Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast or any of the podcasts. If you're looking at YouTube, uh, they say smash the like button. Don't smash it. Just press it gently and refer to use as a link to all your friends. You can also look at us on our website, wingmenshow.com, W-I-N-G-M-E-N, show, S-H-O-W.com, all together, wingmenshow.com. And we hope to see you in the future. Thanks again, Mr. Drew. Oh, you're welcome. And we're still floating like butterflies and stinging like bees. Rumble, you badass jet pilots, rumble. May there be peace on earth and goodwill towards all men and women.